0: Hello! It has been a long time since an episode was released and that's because I gave up midway. But it's okay, we are officially back and with that said, cue the intro music. Hi, my name is Andy Nugget and I'm the host of Refresh Reality. Today we are going to be talking about one of the most famous cities in the United States, Chicago, Illinois. Specifically, Lincoln Park, a neighborhood located in the northwest side of Chicago. Today I am joined by no one. This episode is going to be a solo episode. We're gonna see how it goes and I'm probably gonna do it like this in the future. Before we even get into Lincoln Park, let's acknowledge Chicago by itself. Known as the Windy City, it was built from nothing. Literally nothing. On October 8th of 1871, a great fire spread throughout the city, burning the city to ashes. This fire killed an estimated of 300 people, left more than 100,000 homeless, and destroyed at least 17,000 structures. It is said that the O'Leary family cow knocked over a lighted lantern starting started the fire. However, Mrs. O'Leary denied this charge and there has never been a definitive answer as to how the fire started. But what is definitive is the damage the fire caused. Now, remember, back then, wood was the main material for building and the fire spread quickly and made a lot of damage. But after all that, Chicago rose to its feet and rebuilt the city. The city now contains some of the most unique modern architecture and up until 1998, The Willis Tower was the tallest building in the world. This city now contains 100 neighborhoods, 50 wards, and is home to an estimated of 2,700,000 residents. All in all, the city is an example of a unique revival story. Now, before uh, before we get into our main topic, I need to tell you that this is like my 14th time trying to record this and I'm struggling hard to speak. So just a little apology in advance. Anywho, now, as of 20, Today, we're going to be talking about Lincoln Park. As of 2018, Lincoln Park is home to 69,000 residents, located in the north side of Chicago. Chicago. I can't pronounce Chicago. That's crazy. This neighborhood holds a lot of history. To begin our tour, we're going to start at Julia Porter Park. Before, you, before Julia Porter Park became a park, it was an apartment complex. Now, the people who lived at this apartment complex actually complained of a vampire living amongst them. Now, witches, vampires, werewolves back in the nineteen early 1900s was not a crazy idea. You could literally say that your neighbor could be a witch or a vampire and people would believe you and be skeptical. Now, anywho, this specific vampire stirred a lot of drama for these residents. Now, a woman actually claimed while walking back to her room, she looked to the apartment's courtyard and saw a dark figure with red eyes. She then rushed back to her apartment told her husband, who then recruited the next door neighbors to help him. When they rushed to the courtyard, nothing was found. Now listen, I am not a big believer of vampires. I believe a lot of things, but vampires is not one of them. Yeah. Um. Now, with many stories, that's how it goes. One person saw it, rushed to someone else when people come to check it, it's not there and with no definitive proof we can't really trust your word but this also happened in, happened in the early 1900s so there I wouldn't think there'd be any type of proof now some kids actually caught wind of this and were like hey why don't we go catch a vampire and apparently their parents were like okay sure go ahead um, catch a mysterious dark figure so what they did was they set up camp outside the apartment complex and stayed there for a a, a total of 36 hours. There's only evidence of this happening because it was written in in a Chicago local newspaper. Now, of course, this dark figure with red eyes was never found or seen again, but now the apartment complex has turned into Julia Porter Park. And now, before we head into our next location, let's take a break for our sponsors. we're back, now we're gonna get into some devil warship. Yes, just north of Julia Porter Park lies the Tonic Room. It was established in the 1920s as a brothel and hangout for the Northside Irish Gang. If you don't know, Chicago was home to gangs and mobsters like Al Capone and John Dillinger, who we'll talk about later. Now, story has it, the owner of this establishment was actually a cult leader who would perform rituals in the basement. It's not exactly clear what their belief was, but it was a mix of devil worship and Egyptian beliefs. One woman actually spoke out about this, and here's her story. In the 1930s, the unnamed woman attended a cult meeting with her father. What happened was they all gathered in the brothel's basement. Moments later, a a prostitute from upstairs was tricked into going downstairs, and she was then sacrificed in the middle of a pentagram. Now, Now today, the tonic room is actually a pub present day, of course. When it first opened up a few years ago, however, the owners actually found the basement untouched since it was condemned in the 1960s. What they found was one huge pentagram drawn to the floor, two blood-stained walls, and three, a dagger stuck into the wall. But with the building being condemned for so long, who knows what could have happened, so an investigation was never made. Now, people who work at the pub actually have stories. One bouncer who went alone into the basement apparently became paralyzed when he stepped over the place where the pentagram was because they actually uh, scrubbed it out. Quote, I couldn't move, I couldn't feel, and I was blank. End quote. Another story is of a man who used the bathroom. When the owners, when the owners actually first opened up, they installed the bathrooms into the basement. Which, to be honest, is just a terrible idea. If, if stuff happened down there, Why would you want that to be opened up to the public? It's just, yeah, anyways. Anyway, the man, apparently a man went down to do his business, and when he was washing his hands, he looked up in the mirror to see a woman with a throat slit staying right behind him. Of course, as any rational person would, he bolted out, he bolted out of there, and alerted the people upstairs to come downstairs and check what's up with that. When people came downstairs to check, nothing was found, except for a crack in the mirror. Could this be the spirit of the prostitute who was murdered in the ritual? No one knows. Now, others have heard. Others have said they hear screaming and banging coming from downstairs. Now, one of the most interesting thing about this is if you if you're ever in Lincoln Park and you want to get a drink, you can go to the tonic room. And if you ask the employees nicely, they will actually show you the dagger that was found inside the basement. The bathrooms, however, are no longer in the basement. They uh, that's just for staff now um they still stick the dagger into the wall as it was originally found to not disturb any spirits or entities the only time they move it is when guests ask to see it sorry about that now that's really it for the tonic room let's walk back to julia porter park now if we walk back to julia porter park and look right across the street you will see a rent out office building However, back in the 1940s, this building was in fact a mental asylum called Hobbes Mental Institution. Now, remember back then, mental asylums weren't exactly the dices to their patients using dangerous methods like shock therapy and lobotomies. As with any story on this podcast, the supernatural is involved. The most notorious story of this former asylum is one named Frozen Mary. In the 1940s, Mary was accused of cheating by her husband. Fun fact, back then, if a woman cheated on a man, it was considered crazy and you could be thrown into an insane asylum for cheating on a man. Men actually used this to their advantage to throw their wives in a sort of crazy prison so they wouldn't look bad going off to date other women. Um, Yeah, that was America back then. Now, whether woman, whether Mary was act- actually cheated or not, I'm so sorry, whether Mary actually cheated or not is unknown, but she was thrown into the asylum. Now, Mary wasn't exactly crazy, or we won't, we don't really know if she was crazy or not, but she definitely changed living inside the walls of the asylum. Workers said she was quiet, kept to herself, and she was violent towards others who approached her. About two years later, after her admission into the asylum, Dr. Hobbs, the man who owns the asylum, wrote an order for her to go through cold therapy. Oh yeah, sorry, cold therapy was not a very popular method in mental assignments, and that's saying a lot. But basically, how it works was they would fill a tub with extremely cold water, like below zero degrees type water. They then would throw an insane person, patient into the tub. The logic was, this would catch the patient's brain so off guard that it would rid all the insane in their brain. Basically, just... Shh, surprising it so much that all the insaneness pops out. And that was cold there. With that said, one night, five guards bust into Mary's cell and grabbed her by her arms and legs, dragging her out. They then stripped her of her clothes and dropped her into a freezing tub. Mary then let out a blood-curdling scream. Now, it's not clear if she died on impact or died sitting in the freezing water, but nevertheless, she did pass away. Sorry, where was I? Okay, sorry about that. Now, people at the asylum actually claim they see Mary walking up and down the halls. One patient apparently was never the same after an encounter with the spirit of Mary. What he said was, Mary walked up to his cell and she then pointed pointed at him, saying, quote, you're next, quote. When nurses came to check on him, all he could do was point at his cell door and scream help. Nowadays, Hops Asylum is actually is torn down since asylum, mental asylums are illegal now, and rebuilt as an office building. People today can hear screaming at night from inside the building, assuming it's the previous screams of Mary. Now there are also other spirits said to roam this office building, one of a man in a gray suit, and one of a little girl, as anyone would say. Now I'm gonna take a quick break and. You'll see. You'll keep hearing me in like a few seconds. Okay, moving on. If we walk northeast of Julia Porter Park, we will get to the Red Line Pub, another haunted bar. Crazy, right? The Red Line Pub is said to be haunted by many ghosts. However, one of the most famous ghosts is one named the Lavender Lane. Her presence is mostly found in the upstairs woman's bathroom. Apparently, she will sob and cry in the stalls, and when she does this, she will lock the bathroom door. It doesn't matter if you have a key or try to push on it, it won't budge. The door will only open when the crying ends, and once you walk in, she's not found, as any ghost does. She is known as the Lavender Lady because she is known to leave a scent of lavender behind. So overwhelming that it's made guests leave the pub for some fresh air. She's also known to slap food straight out of server's hands and rearrange furniture at night. So you can say that she is rather mischievous. Also, in the men's bathroom, you will find a picture of Queen Elizabeth. 60% of people who gone in will say that her eyes are open. However, 40% will say her eyes are closed. You can actually go visit Red Lion Pub and see for yourself. Another ghost is actually the ghost of the owner's father the owner of the pub actually opened it up with his father when before he passed away. In later years, the owner did a photo shoot at the pub and in one of the pictures after it was developed was a man standing in a soldier's uniform behind uh, the owner. The owner recognized it to be his father right away. His father was actually a war veteran. You can actually go and see the picture if you ever get a chance to visit the Red Line pub. Other spirits include one of a little girl and a man in a black hat, but I don't really want to rant about this. Um, to me, it's really nice and heartwarming to see uh, see to see a picture of a father who's passed away. Um, it's kind of just show that they're still there for him. Anyways, next we are going to probably against one of my favorite, probably my favorite of the bunch, the story of John Dillinger. Next to Al Capone, John Dillinger was probably the second most notorious mobster in Chicago. John Dillinger ran a gang which he called the Dillinger Gang. Get it? Anyways this gang supposedly robbed 24 banks and four police stations. At one point John actually became public enemy number one on the FBI's most wanted list. Fun fact the government spent more money trying to catch him than he actually took from the nation. In one case John actually busted his gang out of prison he was actually very loyal to them who in return would bust him out of prison. Just before John was arrested, he had ordered to sneak pistols and in crates into Michigan City Prison, where his boys was kept. His boys then busted out of prison and came to rescue John, who, was, who at the time was an Ohio State Penitentiary. In his memoirs, John emphasized that he was determined to become a successful bank robber, and he did just that. In the 1920s and 30s, he became a sort of criminal celebrity. He was rather popular, and even the Hudson Car Company used him in their ads. When he found out he drove their cars to rob banks, um, John Dillinger was actually a very big car enthusiast. Their slogan was, "quote Dillinger chooses the sorry quote John Dillinger chooses the 1934 Hudson for his personal use." End quote. In later years, the robbers switched to the Ford V8, and Ford uses this to their advantage, printing brochures that said, "quote." Will they catch John Dillinger? Not until they get him out before V8, end quote. To be honest, I think that's pretty cool to become so notorious for committing crimes that companies use here in their ads, which is amazing. Anyhow, let me tell you how he died. At this time in 1934, John had gone under many plastic surgery assignments so he could hide his identity and uh, to correct some uh, features on his face if you search it up you can actually see his before and after photos and they're pretty bizarre to be honest with that being said he flew under the fbi's radar for a while and they were after him again he was public enemy number one john had a girlfriend named polly hamilton who had a friend named ava sage ava sage was actually an owner of many brothels spread throughout the midwest and in 1934 the fbi caught However, she negotiated with the feds. She said, like, hey, what if I give you John Dillinger, and you know, you know, public enemy number one, and you just let me walk free. And the government was so desperate that they agreed immediately. And so on the night of, Ju- on the night of July 22nd, 1934, John Dillinger wants to go see a play at the Biograph Theater on Lincoln Avenue. he had invited invited Polly Hamilton and his personal friend, Ava Sage, to attend with them. Seeing this as the the perfect opportunity, Ava alerted the authorities beforehand, who then surrounded the theaters, well, the theater. As the play was ending, the FBI bust into the theater and John immediately ran out the back door of the theater and into a rather large alleyway, where he was surrounded by both sides. He then reached into his pockets, but before he could pull anything out, the FBI opened fire on him both directions. And this was the end of John Dillinger, a betrayal story. Now, what was crazy about his death was witnesses were like, Whoa, hey, that's John Dillinger, the great John Dillinger. Because back then, John Dillinger was very famous. No one wanted to forget this day that the great John Dillinger died. So as he was bleeding out, men and women walked up to him and dipped like handkerchief. Mm-hmm. Or part of their dress into John's blood and you today though that's a heirloom handkerchiefs stained with John Dillinger's blood are passed down in generations nowadays people say you can hear gunshots coming from that alley with no one seen in it it's also said a blue humanoid creature is seen running from the biograph theater to the alley and then falling down and disappearing people suspect this is the ghost of John Dillinger reenacting his death over and over but there's never been proof of this happening. What's really cool about this is the alley where John Doniger died is right across from the Red Line pub that we just previously talked about. And if you're ever in Chicago, you can visit this alley and see the path John took from the theater to the alley. It's not blocked off or anything, I just think it's really cool to visit the death place of one of Chicago's most notorious mobsters. Next, we are going to talk about a Wizard of Oz park. If you walk south from Julia Porter Park, you will come to find a statue of the Tin Man. This is Oz Park. It's a Wizard of Oz themed park because the author of the Wizard of Oz actually came to this park to write his novel. After his death, the city built statues of Dorothy and Toto, the Tin Man, the Cowardly Lion, and the Scarecrow. Why are we talking about this park? Because it's said that the statues can actually move by themselves. That's it really, that's really it. To be honest, this is a rather short one. There isn't really um, video evidence of the statues moving. Um, to be honest, this park is just a great place to hang out if you're a fan of the Wizard of Oz. And finally, for our last location of Lincoln Park, we are going to talk about the St. Valentine's Day Massacre of 1929. At the time, Chicago was known as for its lawlessness and a lack of police gang wars over gang wars over turf was very popular however for this story we're going to talk about al capone and his longtime enemy george bugs morin george actually ran his bootlegging operation out of garage on 2122 north clark street in lincoln park on february 14th of 1929 a supposed police car pulled up to the garage as seven members of george's gang were unloading merchandise Two police officers stepped out and told the seven members to turn around, hands behind their back and face the wall. When they did this, 70 rounds of ammunition were shot at them. These officers then got into their car and drove off. Now, obviously, they were not real officers and George actually said that it was some of Capone's boys, but Capone denied this charge saying he was in Florida in the time of this event. The police officers were never identified and the case went cold. See, George, Al Capone saying he was in Florida uh, means that he had no control and no voice over in Chicago then, but it very well could have been that he planned this attack for months. Anyway, anyway sorry, um, where was I? Now, the garage is actually torn down in an apartment complex. The residents of this apartment complex say that the dead live with them. One woman actually had to cover her mirror in, in her bathroom because she kept seeing a man dressed in 1920s clothing. I'm so sorry, I can't speak. Behind her, there is more evident proof of the dead living among the residents. But what really got me to believe this was a picture I took of a when I took seeing a face of a man I never noticed. Um. Yeah, I actually, I don't know I saw the picture, but I do remember it it very vividly, you know, kind of spooked me, to be honest, but uh, that was the St. Valentine's Day Massacre, a very horrible event in 1929. Okay, now it's time to refresh our reality. Yes, I'm saying that from now on. The vampires of Julia Porter Park. I believe, false. There's no definitive proof and with one sighting and never return to vampires again. again, I'm going to say that I don't believe in this one. The tonic room. I don't mess around with devil worship. You will never catch me using an Ouija board, but with the dagger and everything, I kind of do believe in this one. Um, I'm just gonna say it's most reality Hobbs Asylum I'm going to be on the fence on this one because one whether it does sound believable online There has never been true records of Hobbs Asylum even existing so I'm just on the fence on this one The Red Line Pub I am going to say I'm I'm also on the fence on this one just because So much stuff can be fake nowadays, just, they could've put automatic locks in the door, like, remote locks, or even, uh, like, a a way of, like, dispensing lavender perfume. I just, I'm also, on that one. The ghost of Dillinger, uh, the blue humanoid creature that runs down the alley to meet Nacket's death, I'm going to say false. Just because there has literally been no proof of this happening anywhere. However, the story of John Dillinger and his legacy in life, I do believe to be amazing. Oz Park, I am also going to say Oz. No proof? I'm not a believer, I apologize. St. Valentine's Day Masters, uh, Spirits. I'm going to say this one's reality for me, just because of um, the evidence I got from me. But. With all that said, Lincoln Park holds a lot of history and is an area filtered with horror from the past. Whether these horrors are true will remain a mystery to reality. Thank you for tuning in to episode four of Refresh Reality Podcast. I hope you enjoyed it, and uh, we are now officially on social media at Refresh Reality Podcast for Instagram and TikTok. Um, If you liked all the locations you heard about today and want to go see them yourself on a tour, you can actually visit WindyCityGhostTours.com. They will take you through all the locations I just said today and more, and they will uh, basically talk about what I just talked about, and you can see the locations for yourself. Uh, With that being said, that's really it. Tune in next week, Monday, for Episode 5. We are officially back. Again, thank you. Have a great day.